Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Jesse Horowitz, who's the co-CEO and co-founder of Hubble, the e-commerce contact lens company. Jesse co-founded Hubble in 2016. The company has raised over $70 million from groups such as Wildcat Capital, Firstmark, Graycroft, and Founders Fund. And Jesse's also involved in a number of different companies as well, including Mockingbird Strollers, Andy Swim, January Coats, and more. And he also has a book called Selling Naked. In this episode, we go through how he started and grew Hubble into the company. It is now tens of millions of dollars of revenue. We go through direct-to-consumer companies more broadly and what to look for in the space, how to grow a direct-to-consumer company, go through fundraising and just everything around the business he's made with Hubble and really how you can think about a direct-to-consumer company as well. The show notes for this episode, including all the links mentioned in the episode, can be found at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast. And of course, the weekly grind, my weekly newsletter, tips, tools, and strategies for growing a business can be found at justgrind.com slash newsletter. And without further ado, fun conversation with Jesse Horwitz, the co-CEO and co-founder of Hubble. Jesse, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yes, great to have you on to talk about Hubble and your, and your journey with this company, You know, raising 70 plus million dollars, getting to tens of millions in revenue. And we'll get into all of that, but where I always love to begin is how did this get started in the first place, Jesse? Sure. So it was my co-founder's idea. Um, ben and I, my co-founder's name is uh, Ben Kogan. We met at Bridgewater as interns in 2011, 2012, something like that. Um, I stayed at Bridgewater full time and went to the investment team for Columbia's endowment for a few years. And Ben went to BCG and then Harry's the shaving subscription. Um, and so, you know, he was already working in box subscriptions and thought, you know, why not put contact lenses in the box? Do you know at that time, was there other ones, other companies or other, uh, you know, products potentially that he was interested in at the time? How did he land on like subscription uh, for uh, contact lenses? I think he was focused on contact lenses. I was, you know, one of the things that was good about uh, the endowment, it, it, interesting work on the endowment side, um, but also, you know, pretty manageable lifestyle. And so I was like kicking the, you know, kicking the tires with different friends <laughs> on startups, yeah. you know, on starts that they were playing around with. And, you know, and one, and one thing I always tell folks is, um, everybody wants it to be their idea. It's a, it's a lot of bandwidth to push forward, you know, one idea. If, if you're going to work with friends on their ideas, nobody wants to be the, you know, nobody wants to jump in on somebody else's project. Um, sure. You know, so it's a great way to um, underrated way to get your, get your feet wet and your hands dirty and all, you know, and all, all the rest, you know, it's sort of wide range of spaces. I was um, working with a friend on a dating, a guy from Zenga on a dating app, um, that got you know got launched but um but the you know that that, that was about it um i was working with yeah. her friend on um something in organ banking and that actually um became a company that first round ended up backing that i'm on the board of now um so you know you you get it's it's hard to come up with ideas for businesses um that aren't pretty close to your direct experience you know either your uh professional experience or you know your life as a consumer um, and, you know, and, and so if you want sort of broader exposure, you know, um, your friends do more things than you do. <laughs> Indeed. And for you going from Bridgewater and then managing Columbia's endowment, 
how did you decide that, okay, I actually want to get involved in a startup? Because I imagine it's a bit different, a salary cut, et cetera. How did you decide to, to dive in then? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think like uh, kicking the tire nights and weekends is, you know, it is an easy call. To, you know, always an antsy person. So something fun to play around with. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously making the move to full time is a much bigger decision. And I had done that once in between Bridgewater and Columbia. I was trading with another Bridgewater guy for a year and we definitely really good guy, but you know, we definitely pulled the trigger on that prematurely in terms of going full time there. So I didn't want to do that again. Um, and you know, and so the bar we set for ourselves was we needed, you know, a proper seed round and we, you know, sort of left it up, uh, you know, left it up to the, to the venture community, uh, whether we were going to do this thing full time or not. And take me through that then. So in terms of raising the initial funds for the company, how did that go? Did you have experience in that specifically before? Um, no, but you know, we were, we were well positioned. You know, I, I was certainly, I was very familiar with the, you know, investor community from the other side of the table, you know, for, uh, from investing in venture funds and hedge funds and, you know, private equity funds and all the rest at Columbia. Um, and you know, it, it, it Ben was Ben's background at Harry's was very on point for sort of a box subscription company because he was at a box subscription company. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it, it, so it was, you know, it was 2016. It was a time when those, um, those kinds of businesses were very financeable and, you know, and we had a, you know, good story and good, you know, and, and backgrounds. Um, so it kind of all came together. And with that too, in those early days with you and Ben, so just you two guys at to, in terms of starting the company, did you have a clear idea of, okay, what is kind of each of us going to do within this business in terms of like those roles and responsibilities early on? Yeah. You know, we, so we're co-CEOs. We, we thought originally of sort of a more like rigid division in the universe and decided against it. And the truth is it's, good we did um, because we've we've kind of flipped back and forth what parts of the businesses each of us want to work on um, and you know over the four years we've been live we both ended up you know doing pretty much everything and, <laughs> and so I don't think um, you know I, I don't think that would have you know held up so well if you know if we had been sort of more territorial about it yeah I mean it's something that's obviously something to think about early on with with companies and who's going to do what but early on everyone's just kind of doing everything or, or doing a lot to just make the business go forward and with Hubble then early on, like those super early days, then the product itself, how are you sourcing this product and deciding like which lenses you're actually going to use for the subscription box? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the FDA gave us, a, you know, the FDA did a lot of the work for us because there's just a database with, you know, every manufacturer has um, approval in the States and, you know, distribution in the States. And so, you know, we sort of systematically worked our way through that, um, that market map, which both brought us up to speed on, you know, on the landscape, um, you know, but also helped us identify a manufacturing partner. And with that, actually identifying a partner, were there certain questions you're asking or things you were looking for from a partner specifically? Sure. I mean, we wanted somebody who had a long history in the U.S. Um, who had, you know, who had a big business overall, um, you know, large developed world distribution, um, you know, I, you know, and then from sort of, and we went over one of our board members is, is a guy, um, Dr. Brian Levy, who was the former chief medical officer, Bachelom. He actually made the trip with us to, to visit some of the, you know, some of our potential manufacturing partners. Um, and, you know, it, 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 and so those were all important, you know, and then from a term perspective, um, you know, we, we obviously, you know, had to work on pricing, um, it's important to us that if, um, if we were scaling, you know, in volume that we, you know, have exclusivity, at least, you know, sort of, um, define relative, you know, relevant to our business with our partner. Yeah, that makes sense, total sense. And that's an advantage to have to have that especially and then going from just an idea stage of Ben has the idea you decide to join you guys raise some funding have this the product source. 
what then in terms of like your customer acquisition strategy and how did that go, you know, in those first first months or first year, how did that go for you? Yeah, you know, we tapped into a, a, a little known advertising um, <laughs> advertising platform called Facebook. Hmm. Yes, indeed. Um, right. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think like, and, and I was more focused on this at the outset. You like everybody wants sort of the like, you know, the secret ad inventory. But the truth is, like, it, it's kind of incoherent as a concept because ads are just where people are. Um, right. And so, like, you know, different platforms do a better, you know, better or worse job with their ad delivery. Like, people are on Twitter, but for whatever reason, Twitter doesn't do a great job with ad delivery. Um, but you know. But 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 there's no there can't be a secret or or if, if there is nobody's told me yet there can't be a secret <laughs> the ads live because um, the ads have to live where the people are. Yeah, and with that too, then how are you thinking about which channels or even like channel allocation between kind of that early budget for for uh, customer acquisition? Sure, I mean we've te- we, we've spent in every channel over time. You know the the, the way we manage it is we have. We have our CPA target, um, you know, it, it, and then even tougher than, than sort of the CPA target is, you know, is not just what will you pay for an average customer, but the sort of squishier exercise of how much are you paying for your, you know, marginal customer. So, you know, whatever, if you if you acquire 100 customers a day, how much are you paying for that most expensive last hundredth one? Um, right. And really trying to hold that number constant across channels as best we can. Yeah. And then early on with that too, were you all in, was it all in-house? You guys running it? Did you work with an agency? How did you go about that? Um, you know, we, we have done it all in-house at different points, but, mo- but mostly we, you know, mostly we've worked with agency partners. We churned through a lot of them at the start until we kind of settled in with a couple of partners who, you know, who, who really could drive our business forward. And, and I think, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a lot that, uh, Company, you know, a, a lot of teams want to have sort of, you know, in-house capabilities on this front, you know, and it's sort of like, oh, you know, is my business going to be worth anything if, you know, if I'm working <laughs> with partners, yada, yada. But but the truth is there's there's a lot of scalable functions that it, it makes sense that a lot of the good work's, you know, happening at, you know, at, at, at sort of performance marketing agencies, because you figure, you know, there's a lot of learning across different clients. There's a lot of the work is landing page work at this point. And so there's a lot of, you know, stuff that can be moved into templates and then shared across clients. And, you know, and, and so I, I think your job as an allocator of your marketing budget um, it, it, it is, to, is to find the highest return on your marketing dollars. And you should be largely agnostic to whether that's, you know, happening in-house or, you know, or externally. And, and something I've noticed with, you know, with a lot of these teams then is, and this is less in the bootstrap world and more in the venture back world is, you know, they want sort of the chest thumping of having a big in-house organization, but then the truth is they still need the agency's capability. All of a sudden, <laughs> from a P&L perspective, you're sort of paying for the same service twice. Yeah, totally. And we had talked a little bit briefly about kind of the product side of it, but I want to dig a little bit deeper into that. So going from your kind of your initial uh, factory owners relationships with the product itself, how did that evolve over time or even looking at different products you wanted to offer? I'm curious about like the product side, diving into that a little bit deeper. Yeah. I mean, the biggest, the biggest extension that, you know, to, to Hubble as a business over time um, is, is that we now sell, you know, um, uh, other manuf- you know, other manufacturers as well. Um, yeah. and, but, you know, but it actually, it, it, it's been a relatively stable business, you know, on, on the product side, like, you know, like I think about, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a board member on a, on a stroller business called uh, Mockingbird on a swim business called Andy. It, it, you know, in categories like those, I mean, those, you know, constant sort of um, product expansion on the, you know, on the catalog. Um, and that, you know, it's really helpful for conversion rate and kind of driving value, you know, value. 
Yeah, and going from that with the peroxide, I mean, with it's obviously lenses and going through that decision to carry other ones, was that how did how was that figured out? How did you decide on you know branching out into then those other products you wanted to carry? How did that go? Again, it, again, it was more like just like the media buying stuff. It was more that we could scope it as a relatively low cost test. And you know, and so the, the thing we're always focused on is just like not getting that over our skis. And, you know, as long as we could, you know, as long as we can do things in a small bite measured way, we'll test lots of stuff. Um, but we don't like taking big swings. Yeah. I think it's a lot of benefit from, from doing that, obviously knocking out yeah. of your skis per se, and a lot of help in that way to test and see how things go and then scale up from there. You, you talked about earlier on the two as well with the funding, kind of the initial funding mm-hmm. take me through then as you've grown and needing more funding, clearly you've you know, raised like 70 plus million. How did that evolve? Like going from like your first initial funding to like even getting that, that second round that you really started to grow from there too. Yeah, I mean, again, it was you know it's a hot environment. We raised seven point two before launch. Um, we raised another sixteen or so right at you know right after launch. Um, yeah, I, I in retrospect, I wish we'd I probably wish we'd taken on a little bit less. We've been you know cash flow positive you know the last twenty months or so, and I think we could have gotten there a little bit earlier if we'd been a bit more disciplined. Um, and, and I've seen this, you know, it's funny, I've seen this across, across the spectrum from businesses that are financed with, um, you know, a couple hundred K, you know, all the way up to many businesses bigger than us, none of them involved in, um, you know, all, all the way up to us, you know, financed, you know, with 73 million or so, which is like, you, you start that, you know, you start thinking with a sharper pencil yeah. once you're not just like focused on sort of backfilling with, with funding every month on the PL. Why do you think it ended up being that you did raise more? You said you would have maybe raised a little less in hindsight, but why did you decide that? Um, you know, it was, it, it was, a, it was a, the, the environment was very favorable for direct to consumer. Um, you know, terms were pretty reasonable. And, you know, and, and so it, you know, it, it, and so it just made sense to go, you know, harder, faster. You know, we certainly, we raised our last money in June, 2018, and we certainly got in a lot more capital efficient since then. So I think we could have done that even, you know, e- even sooner if we had wanted to, um, and, you know, um, on the margin, why not? And you mentioned, you know, was in terms of the direct consumer market, take me through then today, what you're seeing from the market, how, how it's changed, you know, since you launched in 2016 to now looking at, you know, mid 2020 here, the direct to consumer market, what have you seen from like the changes in the marketplace? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, the, the, the thing is, yeah, I think people are getting their hands around better, like what, you know, what direct to consumer as a category is. I mean, certainly direct, direct brand revenue as a bucket is growing like wildfire, um, you know, it's just, you're seeing a lot of really nice one to $20 million revenue businesses, um, you know, that are meaningfully profitable and kicking a bunch of cash back to their founder, you know, to, to, to their operators and their founders. But, you know, what you're not seeing is like a lot of like, you know, $700 million revenue or $7 billion revenue businesses that are sort of those like extreme breakout hits. And so I think sort of the financing landscape um, you know, ha, ha, has adapted to match that reality, you know, and, and that's where you have sort of, you know, groups like ClearBank stepping up because the returns, you know, it, it, at a certain scale, the returns on the, on the marketing dollars is incredibly high. So it's not that it's an unexciting or, unpro- you know, it's an incredibly exciting space. It's just what kind of businesses are people building and what, you know, what's the right expectations for those founders and what's the right best way to support all of that. Yeah. And it's constantly evolving and different brands popping up here and there in different areas. To that point, are there any ones that you see right now in 2020 that are just crushing it, doing really well? Ones that, you know, maybe other people should look to in terms of 
you know, learning from them. I'm just curious about that as well. Yeah, I mean, it, look, it's it, it's what makes me so excited about the space is, yeah, I see, I see it with Hubble, but, you know, I see it with, I mentioned Mockingbird and Andy, yeah. Ben's an advisor to, uh, um, to, a, to a supplement company called uh, Cheers that's doing great, is, you know, I, I, I see lots of company, uh, I'm, I'm on the board of a uh, um, men's, you know, men's personal care company called Black Wolf. Um, you know, I, I see all these companies, you know, growing fast, cap, you know, and incredibly capital efficiently. Um, and, and, and so it's, you know, it's, um, it's an incredibly exciting space. It's just a little bit, um, whatever, you know, a thousand blossoms <laughs> or something, yeah. you know, it's not sort of this one, you know, one runaway story, um, that, you know, that's kind of dominating the, you know, taking all the oxygen out of the room and dominating the narrative. With that too, then Jesse, are there any particular kind of spaces within this direct to consumer space that areas at least that you think are there's opportunity for, or that, you know, there's going to oh, be more yeah. companies in here? Yeah, I, I think people get too focused on category and I think they don't think enough about just like, where can I provide legitimate value to the consumer? The, the, like, you know, our, our stroller business la- launched at the same time as three or four other direct to consumer stroller businesses. Um, but, you know, the CEO on that business, Eric Osman, was just really thoughtful about not, you know, putting together a great product, but also sort of how he partnered with suppliers um, to, to sort of, to not just deliver a great product, but to deliver a great product at a really compelling price point for the consumer. So, you know, we're sort of opening up um, a premium subcategory that really been dominated, you know, by brands at a, you know, 700 to a thousand dollar price point and up. Um, it, it, and that, you know, that's all about bringing in experts and bringing in people who are really, you know, really exceptional on the product side. Um, as partnered fully into par- as partners into business and same with uh, Melanie Travis over at Andy Swim partnered with, you know, giant swim importer with real product development capabilities. Um, it, it, and so like, you know, those are both like neither good nor bad categories. I mean, it's, you know, it's an apparel category and, a, you know, sort of big ticket, um, you know, home goods category, um, nothing right or wrong about them. But if you work with the right, you know, if you can find the right people to partner with, such that you can really put together a super compelling value proposition for the consumer, um, you know, you have very good, you know, whatever your odds of success are a lot better, I think. Yeah. And to that point, Jesse, then with competition, I'm just curious for you, then how do you look at competition? Obviously you mentioned yourself about the consumer and I agree. Like, how do you pay attention to the competition and look at them or even not ignore them completely? <laughs> I'm just curious. There's just not that much you can do about the competition. And, and Facebook's such a weird space. You know, it's not like, um, like contact lenses were a fairly developed e-commerce category before, you know, we started out. But on search, you, on search, it's really, really important who your competition is um, because you're bidding on the same keywords. You know, I, the weird thing is like the, the structure of the Facebook auction, um, like, you know, it's of every direct brand like them it's bidding against whoever it is peloton or um you know or purple or some other you know some other direct brand for the impression on facebook right um so it's, it's it's so vague it, it's so nebulous who your competition is um that that you know i think it looks certainly we you know we poke around the ads library like everybody else and we you know and we um you know are curious what other brands are running but but not, you know, not necessarily so much of a vision thing, you know, of a optical thing. Yeah, I understand completely. And yeah, to your point, because everything is so transparent now, you can see the, yeah. see the ads, see the creative, whatever, and the, go exactly to the landing pages of these other companies and see literally yeah. exactly what they're doing. It's like, that's not the advantage there. Then 
for for you then with with Hubble, I mean, how do you then even stand out within that and make sure you know, build your brand within the space then? Uh, you know, you do it, you, you do it one day at a time. I mean, I don't think, you know, I think like, um, what we're running today looks very different from what we were running six months ago, it looks different from, you know, what we were doing a year ago. And, you know, you constantly have to sort of be refilling that funnel, um, and, and, you know, getting, getting, getting partners in place and, you know, getting sort of, a um, you know, fighting formation in place that can do that is, is really important. We, you know, we do have our, our head of creative, Dan Rosen's done a, you know, always very clever on these. Um, so, you know, so he's, he's, he's played a huge role in sort of keeping that, um, ad, you know, ad funnel fresh, but, um, but, but yeah, you know, it's, 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 so it's a constant task and, you know, and constant responsibility, um, to do that. Yeah. And you mentioned your head of creative there with, with the team now, I'm, I'm curious as to how COVID has affected Hubble, if, if at all during this time. Um, I mean, we're totally remote now and I think there, there's no near-term plans to go back to the office. I, I uh, lots of people don't like it. I know, um, you know, just broadly, um, I, I, I like it. I, I, I find that I'm very productive at home. Um, it's, you know, it, it's, it's nice, you know, you sort of, I get up, I check in on stuff, I bike, sit back down here for a few hours and, you know, then we go to dinner or something. Um, it's a rhythm I can kind of fall in line with. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, obviously a, a global pandemic, um, <laughs> is, is, you know, not the best thing, Sure. but, but, but from just a pure, like, you know, from just a pure narrow, you know, work output perspective, um, you know, it's been fine. And with that too, I mean, how have you either managed that or like systems in place when you went to fully remote, is there anything that's been helpful for your team in particular? Uh, <laughs> I already told you about my secret marketing platform called Facebook. Uh, <laughs> we, we work with some really proprietary tools. Um, there's a small messaging company called Slack that we use for <laughs> for communications. A, a video conferencing company called Zoom. Where do you uh, find these, Jesse? Right, it, 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 look, <laughs> if, if you buy my book, it's all in there. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, same tools as everyone else. Yeah, yeah, no, totally understand. Everyone, yeah, everyone has. Obviously, these are some of the main ones that people use. To yeah. just no matter how they do it. I know. I do you have just from like a work workflow perspective? I know the company I was at before. We had like daily standups and everything. Have you added those in or changed anything on that because of just all the same? I I I, I generally don't like meetings that much. Um, and yeah, and, and so I, I I haven't been. Um, sorry that there's been a bit less of that. <laughs> I think a lot of people are on the same page with that and don't love the meetings and they can be a, a, obviously a big time suck as well. With Hubble, I'm just curious on like how you're looking at kind of short-term thinking execution. I know you said taking it day by day versus kind of long-term and where you want to take the business. How do you think about that, Jesse? Um, you know, I, I, I think, look, you know, we're, 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 we're always sort of, you know, uh, the cliche do I want to dump in, dump in here? You know, whatever. We're always kicking the tires on, you know, on the same, you know, on the uh, on the same stuff as everyone else. It, uh, we don't have like a five year plan or anything. I, I don't know what a five year plan would be, but you know, but I do think it's sort of, you know, it's your responsibility. It's one of your responsibilities as you know, as, as you know, as an operator, um, to you know, to kind of, keep, you know, keep your head up for what's going on in the market, um, and you know, it, it, it what uh, you know, and what other opportunities that might open up for your business or not. 
Yeah, and with you then going into kind of your your story as well. So you you come from Bridgewater. You try to start a company. You started a company, I should say, and then we're you know managing Columbia's uh, endowment, helping on that side of things. You decide to start this company. Is the entrepreneurial route with with this company with Hubble? Is it what you expected going into it? Um, <laughs> I always have I, I always have plenty of negative feelings about whatever experience I'm a part of. Um, but, but 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 then the question I always ask myself is. Would I rather be doing this or the thing I was doing before? Um, and you know, and I felt about whatever. This is this is this is a whiny downer view of things, uh, but maybe not. You know, I, I liked uh, college was great. College is great, whatever. Um, but but after <laughs> after college, I did one year at Harvard Law, and then and then sort of begged the Bridgewater team at the end of my internship to stay on full time, um, which they were obliging on. Um, and I liked Bridgewater more than law school. And I liked being at the endowment more than Bridgewater. And I like whatever this is that I'm doing now more than being at the endowment. <laughs> and so, like, I can't complain, you know, too much until, um, you know, whatever, until, I, until, I, until I'd like to go a step backwards. Yeah, yeah, it seems like as long as you're progressing and, yeah. you know, in a better position law, forward constantly, law, you can't go wrong. A law of syllogism, I think. <laughs> That's amazing. And so, I mean, that's interesting perspective because people – whether they're starting a company and they're is you can just expect it to be better than the alternative or the thing before. It's like, okay, great. Like that's it's just like you gotta do something with your day. There's gonna be lots crappy about it no matter what. So like if you're saying it's good or bad, like what ex- what experience are you comping it against? Um, and if you can't find a, an experience to comp it against and say it's awful, then like it's probably not that bad and you should stop whining. Yeah, exactly. All relative. Like, yeah, you could spend your time in a startup and maybe you're working more hours, but what's the alternative? And that's always yeah. something I, I think about for sure. Um, and w- with that too, looking at, we're looking at Hubble then. So this has been a better experience than the last thing you're at, which is great. And obviously you've raised a lot of money, built a company to this point now. I mean, for you, like what, we kind of talked about, you know, your vision a little bit, but like, what is like the ultimate vision for Hubble? What would you want this to actually be it's already come so far i'm just curious on that all right so so i'll give you my other one on these uh, going but uh, the go forward version of that which is you know yeah I, I, I thought about each step of the way what was the thing i thought i'd do next and you know generally the thing i've done next is something that wasn't even on my radar screen um and so you know it, 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 it you know that's true personally but that's true sort of you know what's you know what's happened with us as a business uh, and so i've just like stopped worrying about that so much um, because I seem to have absolutely no predict, no ability to predict what the next, <laughs> and I don't even seem to be aware that it's in the option set. Um, so why sweat it? Yeah, totally. And with with building this company and how you've come so far too, like, has there been any particular thing that's been helpful in terms of resources, whether it be like books? I'm a huge reader, so I'm curious about that, or people that have helped, or anything particular. I got I, I got a book out there, Selling Naked. I put it out with Penguin Random House in February. Um, so if you want a book on direct to consumer, there you go. Um, and, and, and beyond things that I wrote, um, yeah, I mean, whatever, highly, highly over recommended, but for good reason. Um, you know, Ben Thompson and Stratechery is, you know, is my first read every morning. Amazing. Were there any others, uh, any other books that have been helpful in the past for you just moving forward, just think, whether it be career or just life in general? Um, I'm a big reader. Um, been on a weird philosophy kick lately. I, I, I don't. Um, yeah, we, we, we've had like mornings biking with Nietzsche. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a little too much. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, the more I've 
been on sort of the operating side of, of things, the less useful I found. You know, I, I used to read more business books, and the more off the mark I they've felt to me in hindsight. Yeah, I always thought uh, James Stewart, James B. Stewart, not you know, not not It's a Wonderful Life. Um, he had a book in the '90s called uh, early 2000s called Disney War about um, about Michael Eisner's tenure at Disney. That's a really great, uh, you know, if you're just looking for like a great business book, um, th- that's a great one. And with your book, with Selling Naked, how did you decide to end up doing that, to write your book? Um, I, I, you know, I don't know. Why do I do anything in life? Um, you know, you're bored. Um, and, <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's another thing to mess around with. Um, I had a friend of a friend who was an agent. I you know, asked him if he'd be interested in working together on a project. Um, you know, we put together with a, uh, you know, with a, with a litter, you know, with a collaborator, a proposal for an editor at Random House and they bid on it. So, you know, why not? <laughs> I love it. And this is like during, during going Hubble as well, right? Like yeah, 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 yeah. So just in terms of that, then looking at like, oh, I have some time. I might as well write a book. Is that, I, how did you think about this? You just like have time, like, oh, I know this person. I'll write a book. Cause it seems very interesting to me that. I'm just curious on how you go through this. I, I just, I, I feel like it's very hard to tell like what, like, you know, what experiences in life are going to be, um, uh, you know, worthwhile or not. And so, you know, you just try to try to brainstorm as many things as you could be doing. And then you try to, you know, go after as many of them as possible and you see what happens from there. It seems like testing both in your business and life in general yeah. is a huge, a huge thing. Yeah, I, I, I just, <laughs> I, I think it, it's so hard. You really can't predict anything. But what you can do, like you can at least budget and you can know, you know, whether it's time or money or, you know, whatever, you know, favors, you can beg off folks, you can budget, you know, how, you know, how much you're going to put into each thing. And you can sort of know what your capital at risk is. Um, and that's kind of all you can know. And so if, you know, if you take lots and lots of whatever, this is just, you know, diversification 101, but if you take lots and lots of bets and you don't put too much into any of them. Um, and, you know, it, it, and, it, you know, and you structure them where there's, you know, where they could, you know, could develop into something really interesting, then, you know, then that hopefully, some, you know, hopefully good things come from there. Uh, to that point then too, <laughs> in terms of this testing and trying so many different things out, do you have any particular examples of things that just like flat out just like didn't work out and were like just burned up and like nothing? <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, the, the, the trading fund went nowhere, you know, that I, that I was operating for. I mean, we didn't lose all the money or anything, but we didn't make, the, you know, we didn't make the money either. And we weren't able to bring in more assets, you know, beyond what we kind of had out the gate. Um, you know, the dating app, we, you know, we, uh, we were, you know, pulling folks in off Tinder and, you know, Tinder's probably nine. What we didn't realize was we were getting all these signups, but you know, Tinder's probably nine to one male to female. So you pull off that and you end up 99 to one male to female. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, we were, um, we were part of an adult diaper startup, um, that, you know, that, that was really exciting at the gate. Um, and, you know, and kind of, you know, and kind of stumbled and there's still $5 million of adult diapers in a warehouse somewhere in Indiana. Um, yeah, sure. Lots of things matter. <laughs> That's crazy. I, I, yeah. But, but to your point that I've got some making lots of tests and you end up finding some things that work. Clearly Hubble has worked so far and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the ones you regret is, you know, is, is, is not, is not that you tried something and it, and it messed up. It's that, you know, it's, it was a big enough mess up that, you know, that it's worth remembering. For you working on all these different things, then 
stepping away, I guess, what is it that helps you recharge or step away from, from work? Sleep? I don't know. Um, no, you know, I, I like to, I, I read a lot. Um, I watch a lot of movies. Um, you know, we go out, it's nice out in New York now, so we'll go out for dinner, you know, pretty much every night. Um, and, um, and, and I just like, be, I like being at home a lot. And so like, you know, I find like I can do more in the day without getting, you know, quite as getting the batteries quite as wound down. Um, because I'm just more comfortable here with, with your day then with the different things you're working on too. I'm curious if you can walk me through like, what does kind of a day look like for you in terms of that, that schedule? Sure. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. I wake up around, I don't know. I probably wake up around six or so go through every, you know, clean up emails and all the rest, you know, get, get back down to that good inbox zero. Um, we, I got a, we got a, I got a bike for the apartment at the start of COVID because they closed the gym in the building, not a Peloton. Um, so I bike for a bit and read. Um, and then I go back to work, you know, probably till five or six or so, and then go out for dinner and then, you know, come back, clean it up one more time. And that's a day, watch a movie or something. Has that changed over time or is it just, uh, kind of how you always operated? Um, it's changed that, you know, this, this, yeah, this is definitely my preferred mode of operation. Uh, you know, it, it, it's changed. Um, uh, we had an office and, you know, I, I'd still, I, I still probably work from home more than most of the team, but, you know, but I'd go to the office, you know, a couple days a week or, you know, whatever, a few days a week or something just, um, cause everybody else was, um, so, you know, so, so that's kind of out the window. Yeah. And then for you then with, with weekends and there's so many different opinions on this, like, how do you handle that as a, as an entrepreneur then or in terms of working weekends, not working weekends and, uh, figuring that side of things out too. Yeah. I mean, the store's operating, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So somebody's got to keep an eye on it. Um, you know, I, I'd say like, we generally don't do like, we won't be doing sort of, you know, big pushes on the weekends. Like we're not working on, you know, pro, you know, project-based stuff or that kind of thing, but, but, but we got, but we got to keep an eye on things over the weekend. Um, I, I like it. It's, you know, it's, it's a bit quiet, quieter. So it's a good time to sort of organize your thoughts on what, you know, what you got done during the week, what you want to get done during the next week. Um, you know, so I just, yeah, I definitely, I don't turn it off on the weekends. Um, but you know, but it's definitely more sort of that like reflect, you know, reflecting thing. Um, and, 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 you know, and then we just see, you know, we'll see two friends a day instead of one friend a day. Cause the, you know, cause more time during the day. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And weird with, with COVID potentially, but still <laughs> trying to yeah. spend some time and get away from work a little bit too, yeah. as well. And and one thing I just, one of the last things I want to ask about just because people who are you know launching direct to consumer businesses or, or growing them or just kind of get them off the ground and with you having experience kind of in the space, yeah. was there anything else that you want to either hammer home as a point or, or mention to those entrepreneurs growing these types of business with? Yeah. 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 You don't need to do this full time to start, um, get, you know, figure out the, the biggest gating thing is what that minimum is inventory purchases to test a cat, you know, to test your business. Um, it, you know, and, and if you have a day job and, and, and you're thinking about, you know, doing a direct to consumer business, um, keep, hold on to that day job as long as you can and keep that paycheck coming in. Um, cause paychecks are a nice thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I'd say to the flip side, I mean, you know, I, I like, I like to joke. I, I was, you know, college class of 2010 and like, you know, graduating into a shitty environment was kind of our thing, yeah. but like, you know, we lost that now. We don't even get to have that anymore. Um, so, you know, if you're, you know, if you're, a, you know, if you're a uh, gap year high school senior, you know, who's, who's delaying college for a year, if you're a college senior without a, you know, who's graduating without a job um, and you want, you know, the, the good thing about direct-to-consumer businesses is they're relatively simple and, you know, and they're a great way to, there's, there's something tangible to get your hands around. 
Um, so both because it's a fun space to operate in, but also, to, you know, just if you're like more broadly interested in, you know, in starting something and, and you want a place to sort of sink your teeth into, um, you know, couldn't think of a better thing to do with your unwanted, unwanted, you're on the couch, um, you know, something, you know, something uh, productive feeling to do with the time. Yeah. And I know you had mentioned uh, not necessarily paying attention in terms of like which kind of industries within that, but anything you would tell them in terms of uh, looking for opportunities and where to kind of get their feet wet within uh, direct consumer? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, 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 you know, it, it, this is tough because, you know, you don't like, I, I would think a lot about I don't mean who you know, like, you know, like fancy stuff, like, um, you know, like investors, you know, it, you know, investors or executives or that kind of thing. Like, who do you know? Like, um, are there folks you can work with? Are uh, Like I was talking with a guy the other day, his father is a jeweler. Cool. Um, you know, that's a lot of expert knowledge in jewelry. Then um, if you're going to do something as a direct to consumer business, why not think about jewelry? Because there's a lot of ex, you know, there's a lot of knowledge that you can sort of, you know, in, you know, bring into the category that way. Um, you know, if, if talking, you know, is talking with another, you know, so another family who's in, you know, has, has a lot of experience in shoe retail. Where in your life, and it's, you know, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, it can, you know, can be uh, in your extended network. Are there people you know who really are category experts? Um, who, you know, who don't have distribution online. Um, you know, and what room is there to partner with them? Yeah, I think that's something that's really good to hear because as people are kind of thinking, oh, what what spot to get involved with? It's like getting those industry experts. I've seen that repeatedly again and again, kind of on on the Disco Grind podcast of these people who are, they find their business partner who is an expert in X or X whatever thing, and then it's like they partner up, and it just makes sense from a skill set perspective. Of yeah, like, and, and the good thing is, you know, not that it's um, yeah. Not everybody knows, you know, smaller, medium business, you know, size business owners left and right, but it's it, it's a bit more, you know, it's it's a bit of a more broadly dispersed population than needing to know, like, you know, Fortune 100 CEOs. There are um, probably, you know, hundred, you know, hundreds of thousands or more of these people out there in the country um, who are involved in some physical goods category who really, you know, know it in a special way um, where their participation in a business. Can, can give you a leg up, you know, over, over someone else if you're willing to kind of be the um, grinder who's running the digital, you know, digital side of things for them. Yeah, and one of the last things I'm wondering, Jesse, is just with with that kind of note as well on the networking side. How have you gone about networking, or you know, finding groups to to join if you have at all? I'm curious about that too. Um, another really uh, secret tool, um, LinkedIn. <laughs> just be super. Sh- right, you heard of that one. I think so. Yeah. Uh, just be super shameless. Put like whatever the like, whatever the thing that's like, um, you want somebody to take away from your bio, put it in the subject line. If it's that you went to a fancy school or that, you know, whatever, or that you're good at XYZ sport or that you're, you know, could, could play XYZ musical instrument um, or, you, you know, or you can write code in XYZ language. Um, just put the, you know, put, put, the, put the catchy thing in the subject line. It feels weird, but people will open the message then, um, you know, it, it, and you can get a lot of people to engage with you. Absolutely. I will say I've used that little tool called LinkedIn just a little bit right? Uh, in the last couple of years. And that's why we're talking today. Exactly. <laughs> Which is amazing. I love a tool. It's so useful. Uh, and I think I, from looking back at this this interview, I mean, there's so much just people overthinking things and you're just making it very practical. Which a lot of it's like, yeah, 
<laughs> it's not like super crazy. It's just, I, I think you've been able to execute so well on these things. Though. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is like a lot of the things that are simple are unpleasant. Um, like LinkedIn is a great example. It feels kind of weird and clunky and awkward to send out braggy cold messages to get, you know, to get people to engage with you. There's nothing hard about it. It's just odd. It's not a natural behavior. And so I think that's one reason why people duck these things. And then I think the other thing is like, People have noticed, you know, people really want to be valued for sort of their like grand thinking and strategic insights. Um, it, you know, it, it, and it's it's less exciting to think that like just rolling up your sleeves, learning a little bit each day and grinding away at something is, you know, is, is actually how you make a contribution. Yeah. And that's another reason why I, I move the podcast to daily episodes. Just like do it, putting in the work every day and yep. releasing an episode every single day now where you're providing value and you roll up your sleeves. It's called just go grind for a reason. And that is the value add and that's how it's going to grow. And that's to your point, it's the same thing with a, any business. It's like every single day, you're just continuing to make progress, continuing to build and build and build. Right. And, and there's and not then, one magical yeah. day where you're, you know, where you're an expert in something there's, uh, you know, you, you do it a little bit, you know, a little bit each day, you know, each day at a time. I mean, you think about even um, whatever Herod has on it and, you know, and whatever people think about it, you know, Facebook is sort of the epitome of just like a growth story. Um, that wasn't a seamless thing. There was years of growth hacking, you know, again, not necessarily beloved work, um, sure. you, you know, but years of growth hacking to make that thing happen. And there were multiple times where it looked like the install base was, was stalling out. Um, and, you know, I've just seen, you know, I've just seen it with those guys over and over again. Um, I, like in, when, in, when they started doing ads and in, they already had ads on Facebook working, um, you know, by the time we launched Tubble, but the ads on Instagram didn't work at all. And those work now. And then the ads and stories didn't work at all. And those work now. <laughs> you, know, you learn by doing. I don't know why I'm holding Facebook up as like, my model. <laughs> well, they've, they've grown to a fairly sizable company. I think we might, we might say it. Yeah, exactly. That's fair. <laughs> At this That's point. Fair. And I think you get up to that point, like we forget these companies now, like what they all went through. And even looking at a company like Facebook or even like a company like Uber going city by city by city or school by school by school early, early on. Totally. And then this product launches and then, oh, this Facebook timeline, it wasn't always a timeline in Facebook, you know, these things that come out. Yeah. And that there's like, and that there's nothing, you know, and who, who knows what it will be two years from now, but like, you know, it was weird. There was this, there was this long, you know, post crisis stretch where nothing was, you know, everything was just private markets and nothing was publicly trading. And so there was almost this like narrative of the inevitable march of Uber's the biggest one. And then, you know, and then, you know, whatever, um, Airbnb and Lyft and WeWork, um, it, you know, it, and that's, that's how it was. And that's how it always will be. And now the things are publicly trading and like, who knew Zoom was the really <laughs> cool one and who knew Shopify was the, like, um, it's, you know, it, 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 it's funny as, you know, especially if you're just coming out of school and I, I, maybe, maybe other people are smarter. I certainly had a lot of this is like, um, institutions like portraying themselves as, you know, timeless and universal and absent anything, you know, and, and, and you're coming from, from, from university and universities aren't timeless and, you know, and universal, but like they have a lot of them have a lot of history and, and you just realize, and it just takes a bit to realize that like people are bullshitting and that, you know, in the commercial world, um, well, you know, the companies that people were excited about 10 years ago look nothing like the companies that people were excited about 20 years ago, 30 years ago. 
um, it, you know, it, it, and it is, you know, it, it is a dynamic landscape. Yeah. Constantly changing. And that's what makes it, it's fun to follow along. And that's what, for me, interviewing yeah. entrepreneurs and everything too. And just, that's what makes it fun. So many different businesses being created of opportunities and even looking at some things that even a couple of years ago didn't exist and now are such a mainstay in the world. TikTok, uh, we'll see how that evolves, but <laughs> like yeah. literally like not long ago at all. Um, Right, exactly. There was no, there was not going to be any more social media businesses, and investors wouldn't touch, you know, social media concepts with a ten foot pole. Yeah, and that's funny because one of my friends was an early, uh, one of the people early on in growth on creating TikTok, and so to see that transition and hear about his stories of that to now where it's at now, you're just like, wow, uh, didn't think it was possible, but then here yeah. we are, and there's going to be more of those constantly, which is which is fun to fun to see, of course. Jesse, where can people go to learn more about all you're doing, your, get your book, everything? Uh, little known bookstore, Amazon.com. Uh, books called Selling Naked. Um, buy contacts at Hubble Contacts. You can buy a stroller at, mocking, at hellomockingbird.com. Uh, buy swimsuits at Andy Swim. Um, do all of these things right now. <laughs> Perfect. And also check out those little known companies you keep mentioning that can be so useful, I think, as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Jesse, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today man my pleasure thank you for listening to this episode of just go grind i really appreciate you taking the time to listen the weekly grind which is my weekly newsletter comes out every single friday you can find it at justgogrind.com newsletter this is filled with tips tools and strategies for growing your business if you want to know how to launch a business how to grow it how to get it off the ground find employees all these different things there's a few tips tools and strategies every single week i deliver right to you justgrind.com newsletter check it out thank you so much for listening talk to you in the next episode